Welcome to The Buzz, the podcast of the Jazz Journalists Association, where we discuss news and views from those in the jazz media, writers, broadcasters, photographers, videographers, and other professionals documenting the entire ecosystem of jazz. JJA Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Mitchell, and today we are going to be talking about the nominations for the Best Jazz Books of 2021 and the winners of this year's Jazz Heroes Awards. I'm here now with three members of the JJA Book Committee, Bob Blumenthal, coming to us from Boston, Fiona Ross in London, and Todd Jenkins in San Bernardino, California. So, Bob, can you give us a little bit of the history of the JJA Book Awards? Well, the award itself has been part of the series of awards that the JJA gives. And I think to that extent, a book award for jazz journalism, it's not something the JJA invented. The thing that makes the Jazz Journalist Awards most unique is that various classes of journalism receive awards. And the book award had been part of that group for years And the committee was formed to broaden the net of the publications that are out there because a couple of things, publicists who know how to publicize jazz artists and those from publishing companies are in two different worlds. So many of the worthwhile books that have been published, we don't even get to hear about in time to consider them for awards. And also there's such a diverse array of books that are coming out that it makes it even more challenging to keep up with the awards. So the committee was formed two years ago to address these problems. And how does the committee work? Well, let's see what the committee members think. How do you think it works? (laughs) I think it works beautifully. (laughs) We work pretty darn hard at times. Yeah, we, we receive suggestions from publicists and publishers and authors and such throughout the year, or we'll just find some blurb about something online. And then individually, we try and hunt them down and share them amongst ourselves. Sometimes we mostly this year got a lot of PDF files. Some things weren't quite available, so we had to go hunt down a hard copy or something. We meet several times a year on Zoom and discuss the books that we've individually read and their pros and cons and try to get a feel for where we are at that point during the year, and then it continues throughout the year until we have narrowed it down to the final few. I was just going to say one of the wonderful things about the way I think we talk and share about books is we have a list of recent publications, but then all of us will go, well, have you, did you know this book has just been published and that's not on our list? And we, and we have a great conversation about books that none of us knew about. Um, so yeah, I think it works really well that way. And how many members are there on the committee? There are five in all. And we have, let's see, London, Massachusetts, Indiana, and California represented. So we cover time zones, perhaps limited linguistically. So we're dealing with English language publications. But we've, we've got a, wide, a much wider view of what's going on as far as uh, jazz books are concerned. Can you give me an estimate as to how many books were under consideration? Well, I would say we were aware of at least four dozen. It's probably a reasonable number. And we were able to track down over three dozen of them 
you know, that's a fair amount of books. I think we're all on the lookout for any news item or um, publicity release we might happen upon or people tell us about books or even we read about books. I know I go to two or three of the more reliable bookstores in my area and just look at their music sections to see if some books have shown up that I was unaware of. It's unlikely that all of you would have read four dozen jazz books, unless maybe you didn't read anything else all year long. So do you trust each other's recommendations when not everybody can get to everything? Absolutely. And I think this is one of the things, one of those to-do list things that's a magnificent to-do list. So we all have a huge list of books that we all actually want to get through. But in reality, as you say, uh, the likelihood of us reading kind of 48 books is is hard and unlikely. But we all get through as many as we possibly can. And also we share them. So when we do meet, you know, we will present books. So which ones have we read since our last meeting? And we'll discuss them. And a lot of the time, they're different books or they're books that we've, we've we've read together as such so we can say oh actually yes I've read that and we explore that or it's oh I haven't read that one yet tell us about it so I think it works really well because of course yeah yeah reading 48 books on each of us is is uh, highly challenging let's say. And it helps that we have um, say Fiona in London because Fiona has ready access to books that might not be as readily available in the United States that um, she can tell us about and then we can try and hunt them down on Amazon or something like that. But there are a lot of the things that she comes up with that were not on our radar here in the United States. And myself, I live in a cultural graveyard. So I either drive 50 miles to Romans in Pasadena to buy a book, or I have to rely on Amazon or try and get a PDF from a publisher. But one way or another, we try our best to work through the very large list as best we can. And I think all things considered, we do a pretty good job between the five of us of covering all the bases. To me, it's really a fascinating process because uh, receiving the PDFs has made it easier. I think it's easier for the publishers as well because they can get them out in advance of the final hard copies. But if one of us finds a book and is excited about it, you go to a meeting and you come back and say, gee, did I get a PDF of that? Can I find that in a local bookstore? I want to read that even though I have other books to present the next time around. I want to look at that book as well. And you stumble across a book that you're interested in. You can inspire the other members of the committee. So what this has done over the couple of years we met, I think, has led us to trust each other's tastes and judgments. One thing that's changed this year, I think, is that there are now two categories in which you've identified the books. Could you explain those? Sure. They're, first of all, they, oddly enough, reveal a fit, what was basically a 50-50 split in the types of books we received. We realized that while biography tends to dominate in the book categories, there are all kinds of books that have been written about jazz. And so we wanted to find a way to throw a spotlight on more varied kinds of jazz books and also maintain some kind of balance where we're not just creating a category because a book, you know, for one year there's one book of jazz poetry that we're going to give a poetry book award. We have to have a critical mass. So we've got two categories. One is biography and autobiography, which is half of the books we received. And the other is called history, criticism, and culture 
which we hope casts a wide enough net to include some of the other kinds of books we've read. So can you tell us who this year's nominations are? Let me do the biography, autobiography. That's There are five nominees, and I, as I say, that means you received at least three votes. There's Cisco Bradley's Universal Tonality, The Life of William Parker. Gary Carner's Reflectory, The Life and Music of Pepper Adams. Dottie Dodgen and Wayne Enstice, The Lady Swings, Memoirs of a Jazz Drummer. Bill Milkowski's Ode to a Tenor Titan, The Life and Times and Music of Michael Brecker. And Deanna Witkowski, Mary Lou Williams' Music for the Soul. This is, I mean, it's an interesting mix. There are some iconic musicians. In the case of Cisco Bradley's book on William Parker and Gary Carner's book on Pepper Adams and Bill Milkowski's book on Michael Brecker, they're written based on personal knowledge of the subjects and the um, friends and collaborators of the subjects. In the case of Deanna Witkowski's book on Mary Lou Williams, there's some new research not just on her life, but new music that's emerged that's discussed in the book. And then you've got Dottie Dodgen, who passed away just a few months ago. You've got an autobiography told in her voice that covers an incredible array of jazz history. So it's very diverse and all very worthy, we've, we thought. And moving to the other category. Well, the other category, we got it down to three choices. The first one is called She Raised Her Voice, which is an illustrated book about 50 important uh, Black women in the arts who made a serious impact on the culture. And the second one is Footnotes, which is Cassine Gaines's book about the attempts of James Reese Europe and Noble Sissel and U.B. Blake to integrate Broadway and then as a result integrate the American arts as a whole. And it also discusses some of the difficulties they went through as Black men in the American military a little over 100 years ago. And the third one is called Soundtrack to a Movement, which looks at the ties between jazz and Islam and Black nationalism in the 1960s and 70s. And then there are honorable mentions for both of these categories as well. Quite a few, actually. Well, I think that the website will have these posted. True. And there'll be some brief summaries of those that the members of the committee wrote. So I think I would encourage people to go and visit the website and read our comments. And these nominations are, are posted ahead of the nominations for the music poll to give voters a chance to read the books, or at least as re read as many of them as possible. So the nominations are posted on the JJA website, which is news.jazzjournalists.org. Voting for the finalists begins April 15th and closes April 27th. The winners will be announced May 2nd. Anybody have any final thoughts on this? Well, I could add one of the things that I love about being part of this book committee is the huge diversity of books that we have to explore and discuss. I think, as we said, sometimes it's a legacy book. So we're comparing, for example, Mary Lou Williams. We had a book this year, but there was a book you know, kind of last year that we discussed. So it's different angles on legacy. And then sometimes it's something, a brand new musician, a personal take on something. So I think that the beautiful diversity of all of these books are well worth everybody reading. I think Thank the you. diversity is really a key point. And we also look at 
the accessibility of the books. Every now and then we'll get something that is potentially a really important source on a particular subject within jazz, but it's bogged down with so much academic jargon that it's difficult for us to get through <laughs> as jazz journalists. And so we have to consider whether or not the general public is going to be able to get a lot of mileage out of this. And, you know, unfortunately, we get a lot more of those than we like. Sometimes it reads like tenure maintenance more than <laughs> being interested in the in the topic. And then there are some that you know, my taste in a particular style of writing might be different from Bob's or Fiona's or someone else's, but we try and keep that out of it and just look at the overall quality of the, the information and the research of whatever is presented. It takes a lot of weighing, which is why it's good that we have an entire year to put this together. <laughs> I would only add that, as I said, the, the approaches to writing books about jazz are becoming more and more diverse. And I think the... Um, nominees in the second category show a bit of that but not even the whole spectrum and as we move forward and jazz evolves and what's written about jazz attempts to document what's going on it becomes more and more important to support people who make the effort to actually generate these books that we find so fascinating so i would just encourage particularly any publishers, to let us know when a book related to jazz comes out. And keep reading, everybody. Thank you, Bob, Fiona, and Todd. You're listening to The Buzz, the JJA podcast. I'm Rick Mitchell. When we come back, we're going to be talking with Susan Brink, associate producer of the JJA Jazz Heroes Awards. <laughs> Welcome back to The Buzz, the JJA podcast presented by the Jazz Journalists Association. I'm your host, Rick Mitchell, and I am here with Susan Brink, the associate producer of the Jazz Hero Awards, which have recently been announced for this year. So, Susan, please tell us, according to the JJA, what defines a jazz hero? A jazz hero is someone who goes over and above their job description to keep their jazz community vibrant. So we're not simply honoring great musicians. We're honoring the support system that allows this art form to continue to thrive. Correct. It, it's not enough just, or even just to be an educator or to be a musician. I mean, people that are going to win a Grammy and an NEA, this isn't for them generally. This is for the folks that are, that are doing the work in the community and doing much more than one would expect. And it's also not so much for jazz journalists either, although sometimes jazz journalists also qualify as jazz heroes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So how does the Jazz Journalists Association find out about these people? Oh, how do I discover a jazz hero? Right. Well, we hear from our members. People, our members will often ask me, if I'd heard of this one or that one, and I might want to consider. I also put out a call to our membership through our social media outlet saying it's that time of year, send suggestions. And I also talk to, to uh, road warriors. There are a lot of people who are touring and they get to go into different communities. And, and I ask them who's doing things that are over and above. 
And how are these heroes recognized and honored by the JJA in their communities? Well, we have awards made, little, little statuettes, and it'll be announced in their newspapers and, and on their social media. And before COVID, we would have parties. We would help communities create proclamations and have parties. But now that COVID has come in, we, we've laid off that a little bit. So most of our awards will be done at outdoor events in the community where people can come and celebrate, like summer concert series and what have you. Can you give us a few examples of this year's heroes, either people in out-of-the-way places or people doing unusual things? We have Anchorage, Alaska, in the Palm Coast of Florida, and Sitka, Alaska, Utica, New York. We have everyone from broadcasters to publishers and cultural guardians down in New Orleans, concert producers. We've had over the years, from so many different walks, we had Sonny Rollins' dentist. He helps jazz musicians that maybe are, don't have the cash to, to, to have their teeth fixed. He sees that it gets done in, in a great way. We have repairmen, instrument repair people, every different facet of society in the jazz community. Yeah, there are a few musicians on this year's list. Ernest Dawkins, who's like a, a jazz elder in Chicago. Craig Harris, a trombone player in Harlem. Terry Lynn Carrington, the great Terry Lynn Carrington in Boston. But most of them are unsung heroes for the most part. And those who are musicians are not given this award for their musicianship, but for their other activities in terms of keeping the jazz community going. Can you run through the list of all of the names of this year's heroes and their affiliations? Sure. In Anchorage, Alaska, we have Ingvall Vatangutu, and she's with the Spenner Jazz Festival. She created it. In Austin, Texas, we have Harold McMillan, who's with the East Austin Creative Coalition and the Kenny Dorham's Backyard. And those are cultural spaces for African-American cultural spaces. In Baltimore, we have Ed Rybick, and he's been doing porch concerts during COVID, keeping musicians working and the communities entertained. The Bay Area has Jim Nadel for his Stanford Jazz Workshop. Boise, Idaho is Mike Samble, and he's with the Boise Jazz Society. They have a festival. He's an educator. You mentioned Terry Lynn Carrington. Chicago has Ernest Dawkins. Denver, Colorado is David Froman from A Gift of Jazz. In Detroit, we have Linda Yawn, and she's a broadcaster, a well-loved broadcaster and a mentor to many. In Durham, North Carolina, we have Dave Finucane and Valerie Correges for the Durham Jazz Workshop. El Paso, Texas also has a musician, Amanda Eckery, but she's here for the El Paso Jazz Girls which is a wonderful organization bringing jazz to young women. In Harlem, we have Craig Harris, you mentioned. Indianapolis, Indiana is Bethany Robinson. She's an educator. Darlene Chan is in LA and she's a booking agent. She worked with George Wien for years. New Haven, Connecticut is Alan Lowe. He's a historian and a composer and a musician. In New Orleans, we have Louis Harrison and Sharice Harrison-Nelson. 
And there was the Mardi Gras Indian Hall of Fame and the Guardian Institute. So they're cultural guardians and educators. In Newport, we have Carolyn McClare. She serves on the JGA board. She is public relations person, very well-known, very beloved. And in New York City, we have Alina Bloomgarden. She's known for Jazz on the Inside, which is a prison project. And in 1987, she's the one who contacted Wynton Marsalis and asked if he wanted to do a summer series at Lincoln Center. And that was the seed that ended up being Jazz at Lincoln Center. At the Palm Coast, we have Muriel McCoy. That's in Florida, and that's the Northeast Jazz of Florida. And Philadelphia has Levitt Hines, also a musician and an educator with the Clef Club. Portland, Oregon is Rita Riga, a broadcaster, and she's with the Cathedral Jazz Festival. San Diego is Luis Valenzuela. Sitka, Alaska is Mike Kernan from the Sitka Jazz Fest. St. Louis is Anthony Wiggins. And he's an educator and a mentor at Jazz St. Louis. Utica, New York, Andy Sr. with the Syncopated Times. He's a publisher. And in Washington, D.C., we have Sarah Donnelly. And she's one of the um, founders of Capital Bop, which is a presenting organization. But she also helped to create Jazz Road Tours for South Arts, which she got funding from Doris Duke Charitable Foundation. And she secured funding for five years worth of touring. And these are tours that are, are going into rural areas. She's keeping a lot of musicians working and on the road. And it's just a wonderful synergy. So that's our 29 heroes in 27 communities. <laughs> and tell us one more time where people can go to see what these people look like and read more about them and and find out more of their backgrounds. I find them so inspiring. Um, you can go to jjajazzawards.org. Thank you, Susan. Thank you. Sponsors of the JJA Jazz Awards include the Joyce and George Wien Foundation, the Berkeley College of Music, Jazz Foundation of America, the Monterey Jazz Festival Kumba Workshop, the San Jose Jazz Festival, the Stanford Jazz Workshop, SF Jazz, High Note, Savant Records, and Braithwaite and Katz Music Public Relations. I'm your host, Rick Mitchell, and you've been listening to The Buzz, the JJA podcast, produced by Jeffrey Siegel and featuring the music of John Michaels performing the tune Big Vic. Thank you for listening, and please come back for the next edition of The Buzz. The Buzz.